You're listening to Don't Waste Water. Methane emissions has a greater global warming potential compared to carbon dioxide. The studies shows that the atmospheric methane concentration is still rising and the reason behind it is still controversial. Hello, bonjour and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. If we produce biomethane, we can get renewable energy. And if we fix the leaks and emit less, we can totally get much more benefit from it. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm happy to welcome Semra Bakaloglu as my guest. Three months of storage for liquid raw sludge has a higher emission factor than the mesofilling anaerobic digestion. Semra is a research associate at the Imperial College of London. When we compare this value 18.5 to IPCC value 9.1, we can say that it could be two times higher. She recently showed in her research how the methane emissions along the biosolid supply chain were vastly underestimated and proposed straightforward actions to correct it swiftly. Sure, wastewater treatment plants gobble a lot of energy. But if you equip them with sludge digesters, they also produce a good chunk of power in the form of biogas. So when you do the exercise of a mass carbon balance of the sewage treatment chain, you don't get to zero yet. Still, you're not that far, even more so if you go for advanced biogas production approaches, such as the ones we've covered on that microphone with Kembi, EMG or anytime soon Energia. And yes, that's a spoiler. Yet, there may well still be a silent killer in your plant. Because there's as much carbon in one molecule of carbon dioxide as in one molecule of methane, but releasing methane into the atmosphere has 27.2 times higher global warming potential. And as Semra demonstrated in her research, the total global biogas and biomethane emissions to the atmosphere today are about twice as high as previously estimated. But where's that gas leaking from? Well, here again, Semra and her team looked into a full range of emitters to identify the culprits along the supply chain. And then again, they identified a subgroup of super emitters responsible for 62% of the emissions. Do you have one or several wastewater treatment plants within your area of responsibility? Then you'll want to double check if you're not one of the bad pupils. And if you're a technology provider, in sensors or along the biosolid supply chain, it looks like the challenge you're solving just got twice more pressing. I leave the floor to Semra for you to get the entire story and the plentiful insights about the underlooked biosolids and biomass treatment chain in a second. Just allow me to remind you that if you like what you hear, you can help me tremendously by sharing that content around you. Please tell your friends, colleagues or LinkedIn network what surprised you in what Semra reveals today. And if you don't like what you hear, please reach out to me and tell me what I should be doing differently or better. Come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Semra. Welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony. Welcome. Actually, you're touching on a topic today, which 
I'm really interested in because when I started my career, if you might say so, in the water treatment, my first duty was to look at biogas production on a wastewater treatment plant. And what I read in your research paper makes me think that there's a lot of things I ignored about that biomethane production. So that's going to be the big bone of what we discussed today. But before that, I have traditions on that microphone and that starts with the postcard. What can you tell me about the place you're at, which I would ignore by now? I was in the west of London, which is quite nice area. I'm staying at the Imperial College staff accommodation, which was quite good. I'm having fun with this conversation. Yeah, I'm waiting to having fun. So you're working at the Imperial College? Yes, I'm doing my postdoctoral studies. Actually, on your path, that's interesting to, to see that you've been through many different aspects of that industry, a bit aside from that industry, then back as a researcher. Can you take me through your steps? Actually, right now I have been working as a research associate at the Sustainable Gas Institute, Imperial College London, since October 2020. I received a double major in chemical engineering and environmental engineering from Middle East Technical University in Turkey. And my undergrad degree in environmental engineering focuses on water and wastewater treatment. We design a wastewater treatment plan for a final year project. And after my bachelor, I went to go U.S. to do my master degree at the Clemson University as a Fulbright scholar. And my master's study was on water treatment using superfine activated carbon absorption. And after receiving my master's degree, I came back to Turkey to get industrial working experience. And I worked at a Turkish petroleum refinery for three years in the charge of environmental processes such as wastewater treatment plan and the greenhouse gas emissions monitoring and reporting. As you can see, I was more knowledgeable about water and wastewater treatment before my PhD. However, my research on greenhouse gas emissions from petroleum refineries led me to delve deeper into the subject of climate change. And as a part of Horizon 2020 EU-funded project, I received my PhD in West Sector Methane Emissions from Royal Holloway University of London as a Marie Curie early stage researcher. And this project concentrated on methane emissions and their isotopic characterization across the Europe. And in my academic life, I was in the top percent of my classes and I passionate about the science and research. And my ambitions was to be a top researcher on that topic at the global level and to be a forerunner in expanding my research interests on a large scale. And here I have been continuing my postdoctoral studies at the Imperial College London. And what attracted you to, to that field of this renewable gases, green gas, biogas? What was the key element that brought you to that field? During my PhD, I focused on methane emissions from waste sources, mainly landfills and wastewater treatment plants. On the other hand, the number of biogas plants in the UK have been growing. And we would like to do some campaigns on that size to see if they are emitting or not. I became very interested in methane emissions from biogas plants after catching a methane plume from one of the biogas plants during our mobile site analysis. And you know, the, this is the renewable gas for the biogas, and this is the point to get more benefit from the waste. If it is emit, we have a question marks in there. And up until now, there was no study to assess the entire supply chain emission. And we aim to combine all the available literature data and analyze the results to better understand methane emissions across the biogas and biomethane supply chain, as a biomethane would 
play a significant role in the decarbonization strategies and the methane emissions has a greater global warming potential compared to carbon dioxide. And it is very important greenhouse gases that we should take attention on it. Yeah. That research you're mentioning, I have one of the papers with me right now. So that's a bit what I was right. hinting to in this opening. And I learned two main things in that paper. The first is I learned what a Monte Carlo approach is. When I read that, I thought, okay, maybe it's it's a car rally or maybe it has something to do with casino or something like that. <laughs> and then I went to Wikipedia and discovered how little I know about this kind of approaches, but it is a research approach and it's a method with, I mean, all of that. But that's a bit the joke. The real thing I learned is um, how little we know about the emissions of the methane supply chain. And that is really the hurt. As you said, nobody was really looking at that in a thorough way. And that's really what your research is bringing to the table. It's putting a number and it's placing the debate. Just to give a magnitude of order, the number I have in mind is that methane is about 28 to 13 times more potent as a greenhouse gas carbon than carbon. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're discussing here. It's that maybe you have less volume, but the effect in terms of greenhouse gas is much larger. Yes, it is. According to One Year Horizon, methane has 27.2 greater global warming potential than carbon dioxide. The methane is the biogenic methane. The last IPCC report also reported the other global warming potential for the fossil and non-fossil methane. That's why we are interested in the methane emissions and the COP26 people, the countries just pledged the, for the global methane emissions that they targeted to reduce their methane emissions, mainly from the oil and gas sector, 30% reduction by 2030. We all try to get the net zero emission goal by the 2050. That's why we are focusing more emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions, especially methane emissions compared to the carbon dioxide. And the interesting thing in investigating the biomethane is that it's often referred to as something which is carbon neutral because that carbon is present by the entry. So if you are able to valorize it as biogas and burn it, the total mass balance is neutral, but that assumes we burn it because if we release it to the atmosphere, it's still carbon neutral in terms of the number of molecules we have, but that means that for a while we have methane and not carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and that is really the trouble. I'm really oversimplifying and making it for the muggles, but just to make sure I understood the big line and the big challenge. Yes, yes, exactly. You explain very well, yeah, the carbon dioxide emissions. The biomethane doesn't contribute to the carbon dioxide emissions, but the significant part is the methane emissions rather than carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, that's why we try to understand where is this methane is coming from, how we can reduce this, because the studies shows that the atmospheric methane concentration is still rising and the reason behind it is still controversial that where it is come from exactly. If we know where it is come from, we can make more accurate emission reduction strategies. Yeah. So before jumping to the results of your study, I was wondering, where did you get your data from? How, on what do you do you build your study? I, actually, the data comes from the literature where the previous studies published the emission data from various sites. I actually divide the data according to each supply chain, such as feedstock, biogas generation, biogas upgrading, transmission storage and distribution line, and the digested handling. And then I evaluate the characteristics of each stage data. 
And I, after that, we summed each stage emissions using the statistical method known as the Monte Carlo simulation, as you mentioned. The Monte Carlo simulation is widely used to assess greenhouse gas emissions, and it allows us to evaluate uncertainty assessment coming from the calculation, the summation of the each stage emissions. That's how I get the data and how I evaluate the total emission. You mentioned these various steps. Maybe it's important at that stage to, to just explain what you have in these various steps. So there's the, the feedstock storage and feeding. Then we have this biogas processing, which is where the biogas gets produced. Anaerobic digesters, just so sorry for the jumping. Yeah. So yeah, processing is the digester. Then you have the upgrades processing. So you are refining that biomethane. At that stage, it's biogas and you turn it into biomethane so that it can be used for something useful, like for instance, to power a truck or something like that. And then you have the transmission and storage and distribution. And so that is one line. And then there's a second line, which is out of the digester. Not everything gets digested. So you need to deal with what comes out and that's the digested handling. Do I have it right as a picture at that stage? Yes, exactly. You summarize the stages. Yeah, very well, yeah. This is how so, we divide the data, yeah. Without spoiling too much the content of your study, what you show is that there's one step which is much more problematic than the others. And which one is it? <laughs> Maybe not much problematic, but the digestate stage emits more than the other stages. The reason, maybe you wonder about what is the reason behind it. The digestate is a byproduct, as you say. The main line is the produce, the biogas or biomethane. When it comes to digestate, I think the people show the less attention to reduce their emissions. And the main concern, in my opinion, should be the design infrastructure or how the digestate is handled. Maybe sometimes they just left in the facility, in the open area. It depends how it's handled, but this is the major emission stage. So it is that sludge that comes out of the digester, which usually would then go to post-processing step, which might be a filter press or a way to remove a bit of the water and then get stored somewhere outside. And what you're saying is that when it's stored there, it emits methane. Yes, actually. And people also can be used to digest it as a soil fertilizer or composting if they do necessary processing because it has nutrients inside, but they have some standards that they can be used as a soil fertilizer or comp composting. They should be treated before. If we take now all the steps together, I think that the main finding of your study is that the total methane emissions are double compared to what we thought they were, which leads me to a simple question. What was that basis? What did we estimate in the past and what was the study which said that it was so much and then you say it's the double? Actually, we don't have the data that assess the whole biomethane supply chain emissions because this is the first study that we combine all the data and assess the whole chain emissions. But the International Energy Agency had reported the emissions as 9.1 megatons methane in 2021 which is the from production and the use of fuels based on the emission factors given by the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And our calculations find that supply chain release up to 343 gram carbon dioxide equivalent per megajoule high heating value, which may account for up to 18.5 megatons of methane annually. When we compare this value, 18.5, to IPCC, value 9.5 we can say that 
it could be two times higher. But this is the highest amount that we estimated for the 18.5 megatons of methane annually. And the differences is mainly from the super emitters, which means that small proportion of facilities or equipments emit disproportionately large methane. And these large sources cannot be estimated by emission factors, but detected by the mobile measurements. I think that's why the difference is between, because the, the International Energy Agency used the emission factor. And also, it is better to understand the data as well. When we examine the data statistically, the methane emissions from biomethane and biogas supply chain is more likely to be between 6.4 and 7.8 teragram, according to 95th percentile and assuming a random distribution of supply chain around the world, we can expect 2.8 teragram methane per year on average. In average, it will be around 3, three teragrams. But when we look at the highest emitters and assess the total emissions, that could be up to 18.5 megatons annually. So you're very politely saying super emitters. Mm -hmm. Am I fully wrong if I say bad pupils? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the super emitters may not stay in the facility for a long time if people just monitor regularly their size and they can easily pick the very large emissions when they are visiting the site. And if they fix the leak, they can eliminate it, the super emitters. But because... I examined all the different literature data, more or less every facility has the, this kind of super emitters that disproportionately emit large methane. It can be avoidable if they just do the continuous mobile measuring to understand what is going on in the facility they can easily observe and fix the leaks. You, you mentioned how the COP26 has looked a bit at these emissions of methane and looks most of the time at the fossil methane. In your study, you're comparing the emissions from the fossil methane and from the biomethane supply chain. And the biomethane supply chain seems to emit much more than the fossil supply chain. How do you explain that difference? Actually, it is a bit worrying about when it comes to biomethane compared to oil and gas. We compare according to production normalized emission rate, and which means that the methane emissions relative to the production rate of biomethane or natural gas generation. And the global biomethane production rate is smaller than oil and gas. And the differences between the emission rates of biomethane and oil and gas supply chain could be due to a variety of factors, including poorly managed production facilities, lack of attention to biomethane industry, which result in the lower investment for modernization operation and monitor, as well as the employment of highly skilled plant operators when compared to the oil and natural gas can cause the high emission rate from the biomethane facilities. And because the oil and natural gas supply chain have been primarily operated by large companies for decades, they have invested more in leak detection and repair. On the other hand, considering the growth in the biomethane generation due to the national decarbonization strategies, more urgent effort 
efforts are also needed for the biomethane supply chain to address not only the methane emissions, but also the sustainability of biomethane. I think what you're pointing at as well is that in the past, you would put a digester on your wastewater treatment plant because you wanted to recover a bit of the methane and because it helps with reducing the sludge. But nowadays, with the carbon concerns and with this increased focus on how we, do we decarbonize our energy, how do we become more efficient, there's a bit more focus on that step, which means it's no longer something which happens in the background. It becomes a full, full-blown process, which means maybe there will be more attention given to that step, maybe more skilled people. And I can very easily say that because, as I mentioned in the opening, I have been operating for six months one of these digesters and I was the lowest skilled on the plant. So clearly it was a sign that that wasn't the number one focus. So do you think that might be changing? Yeah, I think so, because the industry is growing and the number of the biomethane biogas plants has been growing in the UK since the last decades. Decarbonization strategies lead to people to get more biomethane production and less natural gas and oil usage. And if we have more investment for this sector, the automation of the systems, the continuous monitoring, it will be much better because we know that these emissions could be avoided. If you just fix the leaks, if you don't vent your emissions directly to the atmosphere, or if you you know the incomplete flaring in the incomplete combustions, that can all be reduced these emissions you know, with these basic strategies. We just need to think about on it more deeply and list the actions that we should to do. Uh, it is more or less similar to how the emissions are reduced in natural gas supply chain. We just need to do the continuous monitoring, leak detection and repair, more skilled workers, the optimization of the systems. Yeah, I believe that we can all reduce those emissions and get benefit, get much more benefit from the biomethane. You you mentioned how you estimate in your worst case scenario, the emissions to be 18.5 megatons of methane. That is a worldwide figure, right? Yes, yes. This is the highest emission point. How does that take into account all the places where first wastewater is not treated at all, which is about... 44% of the world where simply it's not treated so that carbon gets simply flown to a river and then maybe it produces methane at some point from the river, but that's hard to measure, I guess. And also all the places where you would have maybe primary or secondary treatments, but you wouldn't have a digester. Yeah, you mean that the methane is already emitted. Why we obtain the biomethane, you mean, the point of it. Yeah, I think this is very critical questions. We are also going to work on these points in my future study. But some studies also suggested that treating the manure or sweet sludge for the biomethane production could be a mitigation strategy because they emit methane even if no biomethane is produced. And the emission rate is determined by how the sludge is stored when you come to the sweet sludge site. And according to IPCC emission factors, for example, three months of storage for liquid raw sludge has a higher emission factor than the mesophilic anaerobic digestion. And the emissions from sweet sludge are unavoidable if you just live on that, because we know that wastewater treatment plants emit also methane. But we can avoid the anaerobic digestion emissions with leak and repair. I came to the same point, you know. 
yeah, even if you don't produce the biomethane, the system, the manure or switch sludge is still emit. But if we produce the biomethane, we can get renewable energy. And if we fix the leaks and emit less, we can totally get much more benefit from it. So if I get you right, it's not about comparing the existing to the base if we were not doing anything. It's more saying that if already we are doing the effort of producing this biomethane, which we can valorize and really have that balance of carbon and the balance of energy, which is much better thanks to that, it's kind of stupid to just waste it because we are creating a leakage on the supply chain, which we could be mitigating with more process automation, with more skilled people, maybe improved facilities. Yes, yes, exactly. Also, I give an example for the, the three months of storage of raw liquid sludge emits more than anaerobic digesters. It means that they also emitting even more than anaerobic digesters. But it also depends how you treat your sludge i mean how you get sludge from your wastewater treatment plant is it from the primary treatment or secondary treatment and how you store your sludge in your study you look at that value chain and you look at various steps and you're comparing on the biogas upgrading some different technologies and you say that one we recommend that one we would recommend avoiding why did you look at that specific step and did you also look at other steps? Yeah, actually, in the paper, yeah, we discussed the most commonly used biogas upgrading processes in industry, such as the pressure swing adsorption, water and chemical scrubbing, and membrane and chemical absorption. The emission data were collected from the literature I based on mobile emission data. And these processes are, you know, operating in the industry. And the other processes such as biogenic upgrading, cyogenic separation, and alkaline with regeneration are mainly lab-based studies. It's very difficult to review them without actually industrial measurement data. We try to understand how the data is changing because we have that more data on the upgrading processes. It allows us to get general conclusion that we should avoid the water scrubbing and pressure swing adsorption. And for the other production stages, when it comes to biogas generation, there are different methods used in the anaerobic digester. One is the mesophilic and thermophilic anaerobic digesters. But the lack of emission measurement data makes it difficult to draw any broad conclusion from them. And also for the feedstock stage, there is not enough information to generalize the funding evaluation to different feedstock types, such as with large agricultural waste or food waste. The data until right now is mainly from the agricultural waste from the European biogas plants. If we have the data, we can evaluate how the emissions are changing with different technology, with different feedstock. So it's a matter of data, which is what I was fearing, because then there's not much you can do as long as you don't have the data. Because what I would have been curious is that you're based in the UK and on that microphone I was discussing with Eric Fagnes, he's the CEO of Kembi, and Kembi is the world leader in the thermal hydrolysis of sludge as a pretreatment for anaerobic digestion. And on one hand, it's increasing the biogas production, but on the other hand, it's also reducing the biosolids at the outlet. So I would expect that with less biosolids at the outlet, which are a bit more, let me use layman terms, dead cells than you would yes. have normally at the outlet of a digester, probably, and that's a wild guess, 
you would have less emissions of methane in, in that additional stage where the, the sludge is stored somewhere outside. So I was wondering if you might have the data there that might be an argument to say maybe we shall look for higher efficiency digesters because the more methane is produced in the digester, the less potential there is for leakage to happen at the subsequent stage. But if I get you right, you, you don't have data to, to back it or to infirm it, by the way, because you don't have data on that step. Yeah, sounds exciting. Yeah, it's nice to learn that you can increase the biomethane generation, biogas R, and get less biosolids, oh, which is quite interesting. It's it, Also, it will be nice to see how the emissions are coming from that process. Maybe there, there is no emissions. It is possible without any emissions that operate the unit, yeah. So you mentioned how you're missing some data on the other part of the process. Do you have a plan to acquire that data one way or the other to continue and to build on your existing studies? Actually, I'm not working mobile-based in my postdoctoral study right now, but I'm still catching the literature, what the other researchers are doing on it. And yeah, more data will be very helpful to understand the emission patterns and we Synthesized, told you the, the emissions mainly from the European agricultural biogas plants. For the data availability and resolution, the most detailed measurement studies from various types of biogas and biomethane plants and the other countries are also required. We are now focusing on the super emitters within the supply chain to better understand how to reduce them using the best available technologies, yeah. When you say super emitters, again, which I would call the bad guys, is it like a Pareto law, like they would emit 80% of, of the total, or how can we figure out those bad pupils? In the paper, we estimated that the top 5% of these emissions can cause the 62% of total emissions, which is quite high. If we just fix these super emitters, be directly to reduce our emissions by 62%. And they can easily detect it and they can easily be fixed. We came to the same point, continuous monitoring, detection and repair system. And this is why the super emitters are the critical. And it can come from the feedstock, it can come from the pressure relief valves, it can come from the open digestate storage because they are available in the different stages across the supply chain. It's better to know where they are come from. And if you're working with those super emitters, are they aware that they are super emitters? You mean for the site basic, for the yes. site facilities, do they aware? I can't say for this paper, but my previous PhD paper, when we are in the site visit in one of the biogas plants in the UK, and we chat with the operators and they told us that they are away. They just fix the methane leak coming from the top of one of the process units. And after they found it, they fix it. And they don't know how frequent is coming, how long the super emitters emitted, because they just realize it when they did the visit survey. That's why we advise them to look at their emissions continuously. That's the origin of many of the scary stories we tell to the children about ghosts and things like that. It's that people were not going that often to, to the graveyards. And when they went there and there were some methane emissions, which could catch fire because, yeah, bodies are organic matter. And that's a bit how we have all these legends going around. So I could imagine that if you just Sorry for the stupid analogy, but if you never visit your plants, then you might be surprised by what you find when you have a deeper look to it. For all the wastewater 
professionals listening to that, would you have an advice to limit their emissions and to make sure they are in the good pupils part of your graph and statistics? Yeah, actually, when it comes to wastewater professions and regulations, we are all aware that wastewater treatment can also emit methane and covering the wastewater treatment unit and collecting the gas in the line and sending to the gas storage unit can be used in the facility, I think, which is important point. And the treatment of sweet slide is also another point. Anaerobic digestion will be a wiser option for treating the sweet sludge and obtaining the energy benefits from it if the emissions from the facility, of course, can be minimized. Yeah. Do you have statistics as to how much of the sludge is currently going through a digester and how much is just disposed? No, but it's a very interesting question. I will look at it after our conversation. Yeah, it's important. In this study, we eliminated the wastewater emissions, wastewater treatment plants, if they don't publish how much the biogas or biomethane is produced from the facility, because we need to make all the units in the same line to compare apple to apple. If we don't know how much biogas or biomethane is produced from the facility, it doesn't make us for us to how much is emitting because we need to compare how much is produced and how much is released. But I will look at that. I don't know the statistics, but it's quite interesting to see how the emissions is changing because in my next study, I will look at the counterfactuals of the biomethane, which means that if the feedstock is not used for the biomethane generation, what would be the emissions? It would be nice to see the comparison between them. So that means that you will be building that reference to know how much would be the emissions if we don't do anything. And so you have a good comparison to look at how much it is when you do it with a digestion, but maybe not with the proper digestion or the proper supply chain. If indeed the feedstock is produced at all in that case, we need to compare to understand how the whole life cycle emissions of waste and byproducts of biomethane production is changed. And when do you expect to have that sequel study finished? I'm working on it. I try to finish as soon as possible because I'm also doing the other studies as well, but it's very interesting. It will be a very interesting study because I'm evaluating the different scenarios. If you don't, the feedstock, leave it in the facility or use as a soil fertilizer, just spread on the land. What would it be if you get electricity from renewables rather than the biomethane and etc. Yeah. When you were diving into all this data, what was your feeling about the importance of carbon topics when it comes to all that wastewater industry? Is it something which appeared to be a hot topic or were people surprised you were even looking at it? If we are meet to meet our net zero emission target by 2050, the carbon emissions and the energy efficiency should be also weighted in the wastewater sector as well. The water industry must do its part to reduce its carbon footprint. Water is usually treated before it is used and again before it returns to the environment and it is pumped and compressed in order to reach our homes. And all these activities require energy and as a result emit greenhouse gases. And the water industry accounts for 0.8 percentage of annual UK greenhouse gas emissions. However, the emissions caused by heating water in the home raise these figures to 5.5%. And because the waste, the water industry waste can be used as a renewable energy sources, 
And I think water companies may merge with energy companies and the technology suppliers to form more effective partnership for reducing emissions. And, you know, successfully implementing low carbon supply side solutions and expanding water demand management activities can now begin the process of transitioning to a lower carbon water industry. If you want to dive deeper into that topic, I had a conversation on that microphone with Maria Manideki from Mott McDonald's, looking at the carbon approaches from the water sector in the UK, which is by many aspects leading the way for the water industry globally. So I guess you're at the epicenter of where it's happening right now. So I guess that's, uh, that's the right time, right place to be conducing the studies you're conducing. Semra, it's been a pleasure to have that deep dive with you. Will you come back when you have the results of your SQL study? Because I'm really interested in the comparison between the existing and, and what it could be, I mean, between yeah. not treating and treating. So I'm, you have an, uh, an open pass to, to come back on that microphone whenever you're ready. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. And to round off the, this, uh, this interview, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Yep. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I raise you short questions, which aim for short answers, but don't worry. I'm not cutting the microphone if you need a bit more time to explain. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Actually, all of my projects have been very exciting for me <laughs> because I have been learning new things, exploring new ideas and evaluating the things from different angles and it's very hard to choose the most exciting ones sorry no problem <laughs> can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way personally uh, stop working on annual leaves i have always something in my mind that i want to do as soon as possible but i'm training myself to stop working on my annual leaves <laughs> is there something that you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? In the next 10 years, I may not be working on methane emissions from biomethane supply chain as they will be fixed and repaired and there will be no emissions anymore. I love the optimism. I really love the optimism. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just it's hope. Yeah, let's finger crossed. Yeah, the industry people are listening to us, reading our papers and the biomethane methane means the money, the profit for them if they fix the emissions. Both us win-win, we can win. Yeah, they can get more money, we can get less emissions. Everything will be nice, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a win-win-win-win-win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? I can say that flooding for the UK and the climate change will be severely affected the water sector. And studies say that there is a 10% chance of a catastrophic lot happening in England within the next two decades. If you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? I think the world's biggest problem will be water scarcity in the near future. And if I were a world political leader, my first action would be limit the water usage, most likely in the agricultural sector, which consumes 70% of all water. And I would advocate for the use of reclaimed water in the agriculture sector. Yeah. Again, that sounds like a good program. So mm -hmm. I would vote for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and my last question is, would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite as soon as possible on that microphone? Yeah, I can invite my colleague from my master's study, Dr. Honor, Honor Apple. 
He is the scientist at University of Maine in US, and his project was funded by NASA last week, which is about the use of nano bubbles for water treatment in space. I think sounds very exciting. Yeah, it might. It yeah. sounds really exciting, indeed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot for the recommendation, and again, Semra, thanks a lot for all the insight you shared. For everyone listening to this, I'll put, of course, the link to your paper in the show notes. So I recommend having a read because it's really interesting. You might even discover what the Monte Carlo approach is if you're like me, a muggle. And and aside from that, it's really interesting to to read and to have that state of the art, I would say, about what we know right now about the biomethane emissions. If people want to follow up with you, where should I redirect them the best? I believe the best way to follow me is through my LinkedIn or Twitter accounts. And thank you for this fascinating conversation as well. I hope the listener benefits from the today's discussion. I'm sure. I'm sure they did. <laughs> Thanks thank a lot. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.